from the lion's head. You know, it really is, it really is difficult to believe in something that you can't see. In the little video clip you just saw from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he comes to this huge chasm and he says, impossible. It's impossible to get across something so vast and so wide. It's going uh, to require a leap of faith. Now, some of you may be sitting there today going, well, okay, cool. I don't really need this sermon. I have faith. I'm a person of faith. Apparently, this weekend, Pastor Rex is speaking to the cynic, the skeptic, the doubter, the unbeliever. This is for someone else. But you know, in reality, today's passage from Luke chapter 7 is all about a a believer. It's all about someone, in fact, someone that Jesus called great. Someone who had been close to the Lord, and yet he goes through a season in his life where he actually has some doubts about the identity of Christ. This person, of course, we call John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, and he's one that Jesus gave tremendous respect and and accolades to. He said he was the greatest of those born of women. He's the one who foretold the coming of the Messiah. And yet, he had a season where he faced some doubt. Now let me get real personal right off the bat. Has that ever happened to you? Seriously, have you ever looked out on a dark night at that canopy of space and said, is God really there And if so, does God really care? I believe there's a lot more doubt about God and his love than most of us have ever realized. 
And so I invite you to, to jump in today. Let, let's go on a journey and let's look at this wonderful passage from Luke chapter 7. And I want us to unpack this by a series of questions, okay? So the first question is this, where does doubt come from? What's its source? Where does doubt originate? Now some of you may immediately say, well, it's the devil. The devil made John doubt. Well, maybe. But most doubt is rooted in some kind of life experience. Let's pick the text up starting in verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask. And, and here, was, here was John's question of them. Here's the question. He wants these two messengers or inquirers that he's sending to Jesus. He wants them to ask the Lord this. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, you would never expect John to doubt like that. He has a special call from God on his life. He's seen miracles. He is a seasoned veteran in the faith. He's the one who actually physically baptized Jesus in water. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. In fact, just a year before this, he's the one who declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can read that in John's Gospel, chapter 1. In fact, just a little bit later in that same passage, he says, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandals. That's the person we're talking about here. But you know what? There are people who have the call of God. There are people who've seen miracles. There are people who've walked with Jesus and yet they still go through seasons of doubt. What causes that? In your notes is a section that says common causes of doubt. Now we could probably list a litany. But I just want to highlight too that at least in my experience in ministry and working with so many people through the years, these two, I believe, are the most common. One is disillusioning experiences. Now think about John's situation here. Most everyone who expected the Messiah to come, and remember, John was the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the one who trumpeted that the kingdom of God is at hand and that Messiah is coming. Almost everyone expected a political and military kingdom. And yet if you read the Old Testament, God had never clearly specified exactly what this kingdom would look like. So people had false assumptions. I see it today all the time. People will read the Old Testament or parts of the New and say, well, God really wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. But I'm not seeing the financial blessing. And they're making a bad assumption, a wrong assumption that God's prospering has to be purely financial. When in reality, there are all kinds of ways God can legitimately prosper us emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, all kinds of ways. 
And John the Baptist apparently had some false assumptions too about the nature of Jesus' kingdom and his ministry. For instance, John had announced judgment is coming. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree, he said. And yet Jesus comes along and he's talking a little more about love and mercy than judgment at this point. And John had promised the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, where were all these signs of the kingdom that people were expecting? And he was perplexed, just as many of the Old Testament prophets had been. If Jesus is really the Messiah, shouldn't he be protecting people like John? From cruel people like Herod? And I want to say to you today, whoever you are, wherever you are on this journey, when your expectations for the Christian life don't get met, it's easy to get disillusioned. You come into this journey thinking, well, God's going to do this, or God's going to do that, or people are going to respond a certain way. And when it doesn't happen, it's easy to become bitter and disillusioned. By the way, one of the ways that I love to keep it One of the reasons, rather, I love to keep it real and just kind of tell it like it is and make sure that people understand what's involved in this journey of discipleship is I see so much disillusionment when things go a little bad. It always amazes me. I'm going to go, why would you be disillusioned because that adversity hit your life, because this happened or or that happened? You see, we don't want people to get disillusioned. Because we don't want them to have any illusions to begin with about who God is or what he's promised. And yet I could point you to people right now that I know whose spiritual life is in a sort of side slide or a backspin because they've been disillusioned. I think a second reason that can precipitate doubt is personal adversity. When you go through, and this is closely related to the first reason, when you go through hard times, you wonder, does God even exist? And if so, does he love me? Maybe you wonder that even when you're just having a bad day. Did you hear that crazy story that came out? True story, this past Tuesday, Danny Granger was having a really bad day. Did you hear this story? First of all, he blows a tire out on the Patroon Island Bridge. And uh, that's bad enough. Traffic is really heavy over the bridge. And he gets out of his vehicle. And to escape the traffic, he kind of sidesteps, slips on the ice, and falls over the edge 50 feet. Now, that'd be enough to kill someone. But Daniel Granger, 32 years old, fell into a snowbank. Now, a construction worker who was watching all this saw him fall those 50 feet. He called for help. Meanwhile, while help was on the way, Danny Granger began to walk back up the embankment, back up the hill to I-90. He finally gets up to I-90 again, where he immediately gets hit by a tractor trailer that's going 25 miles an hour. Now, folks, that's a bad day right there. The good news is, Granger expects to recover completely. But I can imagine John must have felt a bit like that. I mean, here he is. He's doing the right thing. He's following God. He's telling about the Messiah. He's being humble about it. 
And yet now he's in prison. We know that from Luke's gospel, chapter 3, and Matthew's gospel, chapter 11. John is in prison when this is going on. He's lonely. He's afraid. Death is imminent. And not all faith flourishes through adversity. Maybe John even got a little cynical and said, well, if all those prophecies about Messiah are true, that he's going to set captives free, why doesn't he start right here? Hey, dude, I'm in prison. This would be a good place to start. Prove you're the Messiah, Jesus, and set me free. Years ago, the Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, promoting an atheist kind of philosophy and mindset and proud of it. He returned from his trip to outer space. He came back and arrogantly boasted, I've been to outer space and I did not see God. When that was flashed on news stories all around the nation, crusty Baptist preacher W.A. Criswell quipped, if he'd have stepped out of that space capsule, he would have seen God, I'll tell you that right now. But John can't step out of his prison cell and see God. His adversity is causing him to doubt. And I wonder today, wherever you are on the spiritual journey, I wonder if maybe that is happening to you. And maybe you're going through a season, whatever your background, you say, well, I really want to believe I really want to grab a hold of all that I hear Christians talk about and I hear the I read in the Bible but you know what I'm just I'm just filled with doubt. Perhaps you even look at your financial or relational or physical woes and maybe you even shake your fist and say if there's a god then why does all this happen to me? Or maybe you and your husband are trying to have a child. You long, you yearn, your heart aches for a child. You're trying to get pregnant, but it, it's, it's not happened. And finally, against all medical odds, you get pregnant. It's like a miracle. You celebrate with your members of your small group. They celebrate with you. They've been praying for you. Everyone is ecstatic, and suddenly, a month and a half later, you miscarry. And you're devastated. And you say, why would God allow this? Why would he get my hopes up only to cruelly dash them? And doubt begins to creep in. What do you say to a person who's gone through that? Well, you can can remind them that God knows what it is to hurt. He's experienced loss he knows the death, uh, the pain of a death of a, a child, and his shoulders are big enough to handle your grief. But you can remind them of that, and all that is true. But above everything, I would urge you, if you're going through a season like that, to be honest about your doubts. There's no virtue in some kind of pathetic, phony faith. And by the way, don't you know that God knows what you're thinking and feeling anyway? Why would you fake it? Why would you even begin to fake it with God? Be honest about your doubts. Now, folks, as we reach out during this do something project, as we reach out through grace in action, I think we need to pause here and just remember 
that we're going to encounter hundreds, indeed thousands of people who are dealing with doubts. And a lot of it is because of adversity and disillusioning experiences. And we just need to be aware of that. Some of you were here last weekend. And you know that I introduce you to this exciting new serving initiative that we've undertaken called Grace in Action. And I I talked to you last week briefly about a young man named Charles, a nine-year-old that was being helped by Captain Youth and Family Services, and he didn't have any food on the weekend. There are a lot of kids like that across the Capital Region, a lot of people who have food insecurity. And we sat down this week with one of our partners, Captain, the very group that was helping Charles, and uh, Andy Gilpin, the Associate Executive Director of Captain, was interviewed by Matt Manella, our Grace in Action champion at our Half Moon location. I'm going to ask you to listen now. Let's listen together to this brief interview. Captain has a, a rich, you know, history here in, in Clifton Park as well as Half Moon. But, you know, and people I talk to in Clifton Park always seem to have heard of Captain. I mean, you know, yeah, we've heard of Captain or they've either served here or so on and so forth. But um, so with that said, can you can you just give us like, a, you know, tell us how it all got started? Uh, it really did start as a very grassroots, local, small uh, coalition. Um, so 1977 is when it officially kind of came together, um, and it was around issues that were happening with Shenandoah School District. So it was really focused on this area uh, with Shen, and uh, it was a number of different situations that made it happen. So uh, increased drug use, uh, increased teen pregnancy, there was a number of suicides that happened. So uh, this coalition or group of interested people came together, uh, students and teachers and faith group and volunteers from the community, other nonprofits, uh, People from the county all came together and said, "There's a you know an issues issues here that are happening that we need to address." You know, Captain is all about supporting and empowering youth and families in their mm -hmm. journey to personal growth and self-sufficiency. So, could you share some of those key programs or methods Captain uses to kind of achieve that that vision statement? What are, what are some of those key services? We have our main office where we're at today, and we run a number of different programs out of here. We have our uh, family assistance program. We have an emergency food pantry. Uh, we have our youth development programs that come out of here, um, an employment program for youth. Then we have our youth shelter, which is up in Malta, um, and that's an eight-bed facility for runaway and homeless teens. Uh, the ages are 13 to 17. And then we also have our drop-in center, our uh, community center, which yep. is over in uh, Half Moon Heights, trailer park community that's not too far uh, from where we are today. And uh, they have uh, a number of different programs that run out of there um, and try to support those families and youth that are in that trailer park and it's one of the poor trailer parks in all of Saratoga yeah. County. So we have a homework help program, we do um, after other after school activities, community service, uh, youth development, mm -hmm. a number of different programs that, that try to help and support. And then finally we have uh, Captain's Treasures which is our yeah. next yeah. new store. Sure. Uh, so some people may know that and, yeah. and see that but uh, we take in donated and lightly used uh, clothing and household stuff uh, and then can resell it to the community for to help support our programs and services. What I found unique of, about your organization is that you're right in the trailer parks. You're, mm -hmm. you're, I mean, it's not just here, this building. This is mm -hmm. like, I guess, your headquarters, you said. But right. uh, you're out there in those various locations right in there with those people. So I thought that was very, uh, at least I thought that was unique. Yeah, that's another big part of the, I think, staying true to that mission and our dynamic nature is that we go to where the, the issues are. So we have a, our summer meal program, we have a mobile summer meal program that will go to the trailer parks and bring those um, 
summer meals is free summer meals that you mentioned our drop-in center in the middle of the trailer park. We also have street outreach, which is a program that tries to find uh, kids, youth, 16 to 21, um, actually 13 to 21, uh, and gets them, you know, basically engages them on the street, uh, tries to build rapport, tries to build trust, to try sure. to get them to safely exit the streets. So is there, is there a recent success story? I'm sure you've had many. Mm -hmm. uh, is there like a recent one that you could share as it relates to an individual, individual's life who's been impacted really in a, in a positive way uh, with, you know, based upon their involvement with Captain? Sure, sure. There's a lot to choose from for sure. sure We've had some, some good successes. Yeah. Uh, one that stands out, and it's kind of recent, uh, is we had a, a young lady who um, had a high-risk pregnancy, so she had triplets uh, and uh, couldn't work, uh, was had no means to uh, provide for um, paying the rent, uh, became behind in rental arrears. Um, she went into labor, lost two of the triplets. Mm -hmm. One was still on life support mm -hmm. and, and um, in intensive care, so she couldn't go back to work. She had no other resources. Uh, so we were able to help with uh, some of the um, getting the rental arrears and also some of the, uh, uh, the future rent, uh, next month's rent. But it wasn't just us. We actually got together with a, faith, a number of faith groups Grace Fellowship being one of them, a big partner for us in that, and we're able to sustain the, or get the funding we needed to, uh, to, to see her through. So it was a, just a, an amazing process, really. I, I just, I'm just excited about the future, the future state, the opportunities, the possibilities, mm -hmm. uh, just kind of just working together uh, going forward. This is just the beginning, I yeah. mean, the kickoff, and, and real excited about that, but I'm even more excited, like I said, about the future and what we can do together yeah. as, as partners. So with that said, again, thank you for, for all your time, all your investment, and thanks for spending uh, today with us. Sure, no problem. Well, thank you. Good job. Now, we're going to be right back to this story that's unfolding in Luke's Gospel, Chapter 7. But brothers and sisters, I want to say to you from my heart, when we encounter people like this young woman you've just heard about, like Charles people that God puts in your path who are going through tremendous adversity, struggles. The struggle is very real. God has called us to do something. And if we really realize that deep in our hearts, this series would have been an incredible success. We're not to be so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good. Quite the contrary. God has called us because we are heavenly minded, because we do understand there's a God who loves us and who's prepared a place for those who are in Christ. Because we get that, he's called us more than ever to make a difference when we face people who are hurting. Now, I'm going to take just a moment here, and for those of you who were here last weekend, don't, don't worry, don't distress. I'm not going to repeat everything I said, but I do want to quickly highlight, because of the inclement weather last weekend, we had hundreds of people who did not get introduced to Grace in Action. So you received in your bulletin today at all of our locations a little brochure that looks something like this. Would you take that out for just a moment? I realize many of you went over this last week. Just bear with me. But if you've not been introduced to what this is, and if you don't have one of these, by the way, just slip your hand up real quick. Don't worry about it. Just slip your hand up, and one of our ushers will get one of these to you right away if you'll just leave your hand up for a moment. So quickly, what's this about? On the front of this, the first part that says grace in action, there are 13 partners listed here. Captain, that you just heard about, is one of those 13. We have more partners than that, about 20 or more. 
But with these 13, we have 700 serving opportunities. Now, since I told you about that last weekend, and we told you how you could go online and sign up, here's the exciting news. 461 of those serving opportunities have already been committed to. That means there's only 239 left. So if you're just kind of waiting, I would urge you to go ahead and go online and sign up. We want to slam dunk all 700 of these because God wants us to go and make a difference. The days that we serve are two Fridays and two Saturdays. You just serve one of those days if if that's what you'd like to do. Just one of those days. Most serving opportunities are anywhere from two to two and a half, maybe a maximum of three hours. And you, you can see that right online as you sign up. So go to the website, sign up, and be a part of these church-serving opportunities, March 6 and 7 and March 13 and 14. Now, once we've slam-dunked those, all of those are filled, and we're preparing to make a difference on those days, I want you to also understand that everyone can be a part of what's going on in the back side of this brochure. That's the food drive. And so at every one of Grace's locations, this weekend and the next two weekends, that's all we're going to do, we're going to be collecting food items, the kind of things that you see listed and pictured here. Whether it's food or personal hygiene items, Our goal is that every man, woman, and child would bring at least one item every time they come to worship during those three weekends, okay? That's the goal. And we're going to fill the food pantries of 10, 10 of these partners and also provide a food care package for a number of people within Grace who really, really need this kind of help during this season, okay? So that's what it's about. And you say, well, what is the bottom line? What are we looking to do with this? Well, here's the thing. I want to remind you that good deeds done in Jesus' name are going to lead to goodwill, the building of relationships and lots of trust and so on. They'll understand that God's love is real and that will allow, as God opens the door, for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But God doesn't miss a thing we do in his name. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given in my name. Listen, when you do that, you're going to by no means lose your reward. Jump in. Do something. Get involved. That's my encouragement to you uh, this weekend. Let's see what God might do as we show the love of Jesus in practical ways. Well, let's go on. A second important question I want us to ask as we unpack this exciting Bible story here is where should we go with our doubts? Well, here's where I think John is a pretty good example to us. And here's the thing I want you to get. John went to the source. Where do you go for answers? Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. A sharp mind, a quick wit, very skeptical, but he prided himself in being an atheist. He did not believe in God at all. But after his wife became a Christian, he noticed she began to change. And he saw this, and it frustrated him, and he thought, she's just a part of a cult or something like that, when in fact she was going to a healthy local church and really following Christ. And so he said, I'm going to go to church with her, but he said, I went in order to find a way to punch holes in her faith. 
He wrote in one of his books, while I didn't believe the gospel was true, I was convinced that if it was the truth, it had tremendous implications for my life. So I vowed to check out the Christian faith as a journalist would. I would separate myth from reality and see what remained. I would examine the evidence and see for myself. And as he started that search, here's the prayer with which he began. God, I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, I want to find you. I really do want to know the truth. So if you exist, please show yourself to me. And the outcome was that after two years of intensive investigation, Lee Strobel went from being an atheist to being a passionate, committed follower of Jesus Christ. What was the key? He went to the source. He went to check it out. And that is the brilliance of John the Baptist here. He went straight to Jesus for information. Verse 20 reads, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who has, was to come or should we expect someone else? They went straight to the source. Where do you go when you doubt? Thomas Berry tells a story about a friend of he and his wife, a woman named Dawn, who sometime back read that old book that was popular a number of years ago. You remember this book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? You remember that book? It was so popular years ago. And she read that book, and when she read it, she, Dawn said to her husband, kind of parroting back some of the things that the book says, you know, sometimes women just don't want men to fix their problems. What their husbands ought to do is just put their arms around them and, and give them a hug and 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 tell them it, it's going to get better. And so her husband nodded and said, well, I, I, I get that. I'll, I'll try not to tr- fix everything like I've been doing. I'll, I'll just try to show you I love you and, and say I understand. Well, the next morning, Dawn and her husband went out to their separate cars to go to work, and they saw that Dawn's, Dawn's car had a flat tire. So her husband looked things over and Gave her a hug, reassured her, told her it would be okay. Then he left for work. (laughs) Sometimes you need more than arms around you. Sometimes you need an answer. You need a solution. John the Baptist went to the source of all answers. He went to Christ. A third question. How does the Lord feel about our doubts? Now here's where I'm so impressed by the example of Jesus as we always are when we read the Gospels. Jesus was compassionate to John even when he was in a season of doubt. When they come to Jesus and say, hey, John's got a question, are you the one? Jesus didn't say, I want you to go back and I want you to tell John I'm so disappointed in him. How could he have any doubts whatsoever? No, no. In fact, verse 21 says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Now, get what's going on here. They come with the question. Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he has a healing workshop. It's like as they're watching, Jesus goes and begins to heal people right in front of them. And then verse 22 says, 
So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I find that amazing. Jesus doesn't give these guys a lecture on soteriology or eschatology or prophecy. He says, look, my credentials are changed lives. I'm not establishing a political kingdom. I'm establishing a kingdom of spiritual power. And I believe Jesus knew that John needed that kind of confirmation of those Old Testament prophecies. Verse 24 reads, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? Because originally John's ministry had started out in the desert. A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. I think Jesus wanted to make certain that the disciples didn't change their opinion about John just because of a brief season of doubt when he was under tremendous adversity. Now, as we move toward our close today, I want to get very, very personal and speak to the heart of everyone listening. You know what I've discovered in my life and ministry is that there are basically two kinds of doubters I've noticed. There are what I would call dishonest doubters. Hear me, they prove from their actions that they really don't want to know the truth. They say, well, I can't find God anywhere, but they can't find God for the same reason a criminal can't find a police officer. They aren't really looking. A criminal doesn't want to encounter the police officer because he understands that that would mean trouble. There would have to be change. And I tell you today, brothers and sisters, that most people don't reject the Bible because they can prove that it contradicts itself, which they can't. Oh, they reject the Bible because it contradicts them. And it challenges their selfishness and complacency, their very way of living. And so they go through life trying to find loopholes to support their lack of belief. Dishonest doubters. Oh, I hope that's not you. Don't, don't play that game. Just be real about where you are. But I think a second category of people are honest doubters. Some of them are not believers yet, and they seriously want to know the truth. And just like Lee Strobel did in the example I gave, they investigate the facts, and I tell you that is an act of integrity. God loves honest doubters and honest seekers. He loves them. But a second kind of honest doubter is the kind of thing we're talking about today in this passage. 
Others are already Christians, but they go through seasons of doubt. I certainly have in my Christian journey over these 40 years that I've been following Christ. Stephen Brown says, if you've never had a question about your faith, you probably don't have much of a faith. And if you read your Bible carefully, I challenge you to do it. You'll find that some of the greatest men and women of God often went through seasons where they were weak in their faith. Whether you're talking Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah the prophet or the Apostle Paul or Thomas who said, I will not believe unless I see it with my own eyes. And when he finally saw the evidence, the risen Christ, he fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. I challenge you to go to the source if you're struggling today. Verse 27 reads, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a strange statement. I think what he's saying is that John was a herald of the king during a time of tremendous kingdom transition between old covenant and new. But we, we, under this new covenant, are children of the king with all the blessings and benefits of children under this new covenant. We read on. Verse 29, all the people, even the tax collectors, it says, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they'd not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? (coughs) They're like children, Jesus says here, sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. Now let's stop right there. What that means is we were happy. We were singing. The flute is a merry instrument. It kind of makes you want to tap your toe and dance. And then he says, we sang a dirge for you and you did not cry. And that means we were in grief and we were kind of low-key. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. You say, he has a demon. That was your assessment of John and his ministry. He's got a demon. That man is something wrong with him. The son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. You say, boy, that's confusing. Here's what it means. Jesus is saying there's some people out there who just don't want the answer. You can never please them no matter how you bring the good news to them. Do you see the difference? He said, John brought it to you and he brought it in a very Spartan fashion. He was always fasting and had this weird clothing on, camel's hair. He had a weird diet too. I've come very differently, Jesus said. I'm not that austere. In fact, I've been more a part of the party scene as I've been reaching out to people who need God. And you've rejected both of us for your own reasons. You can't win with you, he's saying. And I've met a lot of people who are just like that. It doesn't matter what style or methodological package or manners in which you bring the gospel to them, they don't want the truth. 
because they're dishonest doubters. But if you have honest doubts, folks, take them to Jesus. Tennyson wrote, there's more faith in honest doubt than in half our creeds. The Quaker, Rufus Jones, put it this way, a rebuilt faith is superior to an inherited faith that has never stood the strain of a great testing storm. If you've never clung to a broken piece off of your old ship in the dark night of your life, your faith may not have the sustaining power to carry you through to the end of the journey. When you're feeling disoriented due to doubt, you may remember that observation. As you emerge from your uncertainties, you may very well possess a stronger faith than you did prior to the test. Indiana Jones could take a step out into the chasm for two reasons. He trusted that book that his father had written. And every time he had taken its guidance, it had proved accurate and true. And you can trust God because he's given you a powerful revelation in his book. It comes straight from a God who loves you. And for those of us who followed it, we found it to be accurate and true every single time we follow in its steps. It's time to get on board with Jesus. It's time to do something about your doubts because Jesus gives clarity to honest doubters. Father, thank you for this amazing story. And I ask, Lord, that you would work with those who are struggling today. They're going through a season where they just don't know where to turn or up from down or if you're really real or if you love them. Oh, God, today, would you show them who you are? And would you confirm to them your amazing love? And would you show them, Lord, how deeply you love them and care about them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.